everybody. Welcome to another episode of Don't Worry, It's Confidential. Happy July. What the heck? I cannot believe it's July already. The summer is flying by and I really don't want it to because summer's the best. But I will say that it is quite steamy out. I was just on a walk calling my grandma. Reminder to call your grandma, everybody. And so hot. Like I really could only walk like half an hour and then came back and just hose myself down. <laughs> um, check in. I'm doing well. Uh, mentally doing honestly really well. I'm, I'm very happy to be going back to seeing everybody, seeing friends, doing activities, playing tennis, being outside, trying to balance everything right now. And I was actually talking about this with someone we were saying like, we're so used to having like full 24 hours slash obviously not 24 hours because you're sleeping, but full like days every day of the week to do what you need to do, right? Like all of COVID, like I feel like I just had weekends to complete stuff, to like really chill, to like do hobbies and stuff like that. But now seeing friends and everything, it's like I have a social life again and it's it's definitely an adjustment. <laughs> a great adjustment, the best, absolutely best possible adjustment. But I just have to remember like how to really grind during the week and not not put things off as much. Yeah, I feel like that's that's a big check in for now. I hope everybody's enjoying your day off on my Canadians. It's Canada Day and you have the day off today on Thursday. Yeah, I mean, I'm not personally that into celebrating Canada Day anymore, more into standing in solidarity with the Indigenous people in Canada, but I do appreciate a day off and it should just be made like National Indigenous Reconciliation Day, in my opinion. But anyways... Before we get into talking about this episode, I wanted to mention that on the Instagram at Don't Worry It's Confidential, all of the people I follow are actually resources either that I followed on my personal account or found on my personal account or that friends have recommended, people, guests on the podcast have recommended. They're all just kind of resources, educational and yeah, accounts I like to follow to learn stuff. So check it out. So on the episode today, it's a good one. We're talking all about mental health, basically just talking about how it's okay to feel different things. It's okay to go through different experiences. And and yeah, one thing was Therapist 101, which is validating feelings. And that was kind of a big reason why I wanted to do this episode was just to validate different experiences, validate having feelings. And many of us haven't really been validated, haven't been told our feelings are okay or all right to have. So I wanted it to be like an ode to it's okay to feel. And for example, a lot of people aren't validated by when they were kids being told to don't cry or even as adults or you're too emotional, all these kinds of things that tell us, okay, let's put away our feelings in a box and let's not talk about them. This is the exact opposite. So we're just going deep on different topics, specifically mostly talking about anxiety and OCD, perfectionism, the feelings of feeling unsure, or also going on medication, uh, relationships, and navigating relationships when you're going through a mental health struggle. Also mental health in the workplace, which was kind of unexpected, but I, I really appreciated and learned a lot in that part of the conversation. I'm definitely in a different work sphere than, than a lot of people. So 
in my line of work, all I do is talk about mental health, but I think it's it's very different in everybody's offices. So it was cool to hear my friend's perspective on this. We also talk about different strategies that we've learned over the years, strategies that we use, and also just kind of messaging we've gotten and just from all different avenues. And so we share some of those here. And overall, I just really appreciate the vulnerability that this guest had throughout the episode. I felt like they were so open to sharing and especially in the fact that she hasn't fully gotten over this experience. A lot of the time we hear stories of people who are past their their like low point or completely past whatever yeah whatever aspect of their journey they're describing but I think it's pretty powerful to be able to talk about it during and even though she does mention that she's had a lot of improvements she's she mentioned there's some days that it's great some days that it's not and I think there is a lot of power to talking about it while you're still in it so I think this is an awesome episode to listen to if you're going through any sort of mental health struggle but also if you're not I think it's really important for people to hear other people's experiences and understand a little bit more about what it's like and also just kind of understand how you can better support somebody who's going through something like this. So anyways, I hope you enjoy this episode. As always, rate and review, message me on Instagram, follow me on Instagram at don't worry, it's confidential. And I hope you enjoy this episode. Let's jump right into it. This guest is both very mature and equally a fun little teenage girl at the same time, goofy as can be. We've known each other for 13 years and we have been teammate bunkmates and companions on the dance floor many a times. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Love How that you intro. Doing? I'm great. I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, I, I really loved that intro. I'm doing well. It is a beautiful day here, so really can't complain. So mood's up. The weather definitely helps. It's sunny outside. My mood is up. Me too. I'm like instantly like look out my window first thing. I'm like, what's it yeah. going to be today, folks? <laughs> yeah. Uh, rainy uh, shit. shit day. Sorry. Should I not? Should I, am I swearing? You can, you can, can swear. Can I bleep? <laughs> I'll bleep it out. No. Okay. Great. All right. So before um, we get started, I always do a couple of get to know you questions just so the audience kind of gets a little feel for you before we get into deep topics. Okay, great. That sounds fun. So are you more of a morning person or a night person? Morning for sure. Um, I think also because now I'm working earlier mornings, Mm -hmm. so I have to work earlier hours, which has been really good because I feel like I want to be a morning person, but I don't know if I'm naturally one of those people that pops up at the crack of dawn unless when we were 12 and had a sleepover. (laughs) (laughs) I would always be awake waiting for you to get up. Or just Um, wake me up. (laughs) Yeah. Did not, did not wait. Uh, no, definitely more of a morning person. I feel like if I make the most of the morning, I feel way better about my day. Okay. Next question. What's your spirit tree? Oh, I don't know if I've ever been asked this question before. (laughs) I think definitely coniferous. I would say probably a white pine because I really loved them growing up. They're always there. They're dependable and (laughs) dependable tree (laughs) no I just I really like them they're pretty and their their needles are soft like when you feel them they're actually soft yeah just a good solid tree tree. there's lots of them at my cottage so I feel like they're part of my spirit love that all right final get to know you question what's your favorite simple pleasure right now oh good 
question. My favorite symbol pleasure right now is honestly coffee. Like I mentioned, I get up quite early for work and what gets me out of bed is making my little coffee setup. or this morning I, w- I went to Starbucks because we didn't have any coffee left. And honestly, just the process of going to get it is so satisfying. And I used to sometimes drink matcha, but we don't have a blender anymore. So yeah, I feel like when I was writing the I question, it, I was yeah. like, I was like, it's coffee. <laughs> I would love to hear other ones. Anyone else? <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, other symbol pleasure is honestly my skincare routine oh yeah I don't know if that's so simple actually for me yeah it's very complex very layered very expensive (laughs) nice uh, comfy sheets comfy sheets yeah comfy sheets for me would be showering I love a shower you're such a shower I'm such a like extreme shower (laughs) you could go days without showering I'm like every morning first thing unhygienic girl (laughs) no I feel like yeah you just you can't function without a shower no a water woman I can sometimes I'm not in the mood to get wet (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that's a lot of people I don't know I'm I'm weird yeah Yeah. So let's get into it now that everybody knows a little bit about you. So basically the idea behind this episode, the reason I wanted to do it was originally the title was it's okay to feel sad. And for me, that was kind of a really big realization in kind of my journey of mental health and healing and well-being. I feel like I was someone who always identified with being happy and confident. And I actually read of this thing like recently called uh, emotional perfectionism, which basically it's like when you're always trying to be like happy, confident in control. And anytime that you're not those things, you get really like upset about it. And it really like freaks you out. And I related to that so much because like every time I'm like feeling slightly sad or slightly overwhelmed or like whatever, I'm like, this is not me. Like, this is not who I am. And having the realization of like, it's okay to feel sad for me was like, such an allowance of like letting myself have those days. And rather than just being sad or emotional about being sad, I was just able to be sad. So a whole layer of like pressure and emotions was kind of taken away when I let myself just like chill and feel my emotions. Mm -hmm. Wow. I, I don't think I've ever heard that phrase, which is now probably my favorite phrase (laughs) I would say extremely struggle with that I've never heard it described that way emotional perfectionism is that yeah yeah so that really resonates with me because I think that is one of the most the one of the things that I've had the most difficulty with sort of accepting that anxiety and sometimes depression is part of me I sort of was so I guess to give some background so probably I've always been I would say a very level person so I would say I don't really get super low lows and I don't get super high highs and that's something my family and I have always talked about because I would say my mom and my brother tend to be more they can be in such a great mood that it 
lifts you up and you just want to be happy alongside them but then Mm -hmm. also because their their good mood is so great if they're not in a good mood it kind of sucks the energy out of the room or like you know there's kind of a rain cloud above them yeah versus I have typically always kind of been in that middle range which is kind of similar to my dad where we're not ever the most energetic most enthusiastic like highest of highs but we're also not super, super low. So we tend to more sit in the middle range, which I actually always really enjoyed, Mm -hmm. but I always felt, especially the past couple of years, having been a really just very supportive, loving relationship and working and felt very, very content with my life. Like that was something that I remember reading back in my journals. I was just very content, like Mm -hmm. so, so happy. And then even at the beginning of the pandemic, I remember that. So my boyfriend moved in with me and we were having the best time, honestly, which sounds bad because obviously it was a horrible time in, in the world, but we were really enjoying the time together and we were used to spending a lot of time together. It wasn't unusual just Mm -hmm. based on our relationship there. So that was good because it wasn't foreign to us. So at the beginning, things were going really well. And then I think it was probably last, yeah, last August, I was basically triggered by a thought or an anxiety that I hadn't ever really thought of before. And it very much just like stuck and it would not leave my brain. And I became very obsessive and very, very anxious. And it kind of affected all areas of my life. It was all I could think about basically. And I think that there were a couple of things aside from just the thought itself. I I remember just thinking like, this is so not me. Mm. Um, I'm not anxious. Like I'm not sad all the time. I just want to get back to feeling myself because I'm very used to feeling happy. And that was one of the things that my boyfriend who struggles with anxiety or has in the past had always said when we first started dating is like, I wasn't struggling with anxiety at that point. And he was, and I remember he told me once, like most of the time I feel, you know, 75%, like I'm 75% in the moment. And that really upset me because mm-hmm. I was like, what do you mean? You're only 75% in the moment. Like I'm a hundred percent in the moment. I'm always happy and always calm. And like, yeah. not, of course I would have emotions and sadness like anyone else, but I, I wasn't really fixated on it. Mm-hmm. Um, And so that was really hard because I think that I associated myself with always being really positive and perfect and didn't really cause any issues and like had my life on track and nothing really ever went wrong. And I know that sounds kind of obnoxious to say, but so that was a big kind of hurdle to overcome was this realization that it's okay to feel this way. And then another thing that helped me was, so basically through this experience of really struggling with anxiety for a really long time, it got to the point where I decided that I would see a therapist who I'd seen once before mm-hmm. um, in my first year of university. And I remember I saw her because I was really anxious in my first year of university. Um, and I think I don't know. I think most people probably were, but I, th- yeah. I thought I had social anxiety because I found it very intimidating. I was just never really comfortable in the program that I was in, the building that I was in. I always felt very uncomfortable. And so, and I always felt like I was trying to make friends and had no problem talking to them, but just didn't get along with a lot of people. And so I kind of went to a therapist and cried for an hour 
And she basically said, no, you don't have an anxiety problem. She basically just said that the way you're describing it doesn't sound like social anxiety because it yeah. doesn't sound like you're actually scared of talking to anyone. It just sounds yeah. like you maybe don't like the people that you're interacting with <laughs> yeah. and you don't have to like them. Like you don't yeah. have to, they, those don't have to be your people. And mm-hmm. so I just left and was like, well, therapy's great. Like cured. I feel fine now. <laughs> I'm cured. So I think in the back of my head, I kind of was hoping to go to therapy again and just have a magical little session and be like, okay, cured mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. And it definitely didn't happen that way. But I remember the therapist asking me, she, she basically said that like, from what I was telling her that I sound very, very, very afraid of failure. Mm. I'm very afraid of things not working out in my life. I'm very afraid of ever kind of messing up. And she, so she goes, oh, well, when's the time that you have failed and you've, you know, you've made it through it. (laughs) And I, it was horribly embarrassing because it, it sounded so obnoxious and I kept being like, oh, well, yeah, I failed oh, I failed an exam once. Um, and she was like, okay, maybe something a little bit <laughs> more. And I was like, no, 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 sorry. Um, uh, yeah. I was like, um, I haven't really had many big like things that I would consider failures or fuck ups or anything like that. Um, and it was really embarrassing. And so I think it wasn't meant to be embarrassing, but it kind of showed me that I am probably not that great at dealing with hiccups mm. and ups and downs. And I, I would say I've become a lot more resilient from this experience because I don't think I really had much to be resilient about before. So it's been interesting. And I remember my therapist at the beginning of this saying that that would happen. I was like, Ugh. Yeah. Oh, but like, this is so annoying. I don't mean that like, oh, I'll become better at the end. It's like, no, this sucks. I hate this. This is horrible. Like I, yeah, I'm so down and it was all I could think about, but um, it was almost like you were so scared of having an experience that was going to be different from what you've experienced your whole life. And then you finally got it. And, and as much as it sucked, it kind of gave you this ability to see like, it's okay if it does happen. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think another thing about it's okay to be sad is also it's okay to be unsure and that's not something that I've ever really dealt with like I'm a very decisive person Mm. if I make a decision I stick to it and I live in a very black and white world which is always and it's not a not necessarily a good thing like sometimes it can be helpful but even from the time I was young I was like okay it's either like right or it's wrong it's black it's white like there's no gray area like Mm -hmm. I exist completely on one side of things Mm. um that's super interesting to hear that yeah like you describing yourself that way and I feel like it's it's interesting that you notice that in yourself yeah and so I think that's something that I'm trying to learn that it's okay to live in sort of a more gray area so it's something that I'm trying to work on but yeah I think through that I I have found a lot of OCD resources Mm. So I guess to give context, I'm really rambling here, but um, no, you're, you're doing well. You're giving the whole story. Okay, <laughs> to get to give some context, so I was yeah really really struggling for many months and was seeing a therapist, and it kind of got to the point where I would see her maybe once a week, and what was happening is I would just talk about the same things and kind of go over the same things, and she would kind of reiterate the same things, yeah. and. I wasn't really getting anywhere. She was kind of saying like, maybe I'm not actually the right person to help you. Like, I feel as though you have sort of an obsessive component to your anxiety. 
Mm. And you're kind of reserving this therapy session. This can, she's said that this is pretty common with people who have these sort of obsessive thoughts. And she said that it's pretty common for people to reserve their therapy session as sort of like the time to obsess about it. Mm. So you just end up repeating the same thing in therapy and sort of like using that hour to just dive into your obsessive thoughts and repeat them. That's true. Because that's one thing that I struggle with is like trying to logic my way out of anxiety. And it really doesn't work. I saw a quote once that it was just like, logic is no match for anxiety because it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter if like the facts all line up, you can still be anxious about something and not understand why even if it's a thought that you don't really believe in yeah you can you can get all the facts saying like this isn't true this isn't logical and then it sometimes still feels like it's still there and it's still present and they're gonna be yeah yeah I think it's pretty common so basically through this she suggested that I go to cognitive behavioral therapist but I was moving across the country so I had to stop seeing my current therapist and then when I moved I thought okay maybe the move will be a fresh start and it will be great and then we moved to one of the rainiest places in the rainiest Mm -hmm. season of the year. And it was right around Christmas. So that was absolutely horrible because I was very homesick, feeling so, so depressed. It was really getting to the point where like, I couldn't go a day without just being in tears and like felt very Mm -hmm. empty and hopeless. So I decided I would speak to my doctor because I had a really close friend of mine who was honestly such such a help. And we were both really, really struggling with anxiety and depression. And she mentioned that she was going to go to a doctor and like talk about medication. It kind of inspired me to do the same thing. Um, so then I did, she recommended that I start, um, anti-depression, anti-anxiety medication. And so I basically just made the decision, like this has been going on for so long. I may as well just try try this and see what, happens. I think there's sort of a bit of stigma around going on medication because it almost makes it feel like, oh, like you're really struggling with depression. You know, it's like, oh, you're. Yeah. I definitely want to go into that. Thank you for explaining your story. It's like, it's so helpful. And that was part of the reason I just wanted to come on here and talk about it. It's because like, I feel like as much as the stigma is decreasing about mental health, like people are more open about it. There is still a lot of stigma and there's also a lot of internalized stigma that people feel and they feel like they're the only ones. They feel like they're different and having conversations about it, hearing how like someone who may be related to, to not ever going through spells like this and then suddenly going through a lot of them, hearing mm-hmm. that is kind of like it's normalizing that it can look in so many different ways. It can look like me who doesn't have like a clinical diagnosis of anything, but goes through moments of like really, really low lows. Mm-hmm. And it can look like sudden onset anxiety that comes on at like a specific time. And then Mm -hmm. it's triggered by other events and sort of just like an identity questioning that sort of Mm -hmm. happens when you start going through it. So it's so helpful to hear you talk about it. Oh, definitely. Um, no, I'm happy to. And I think one of the things that has helped me through it a lot is that so through the suggestion that I try CBT. I haven't actually tried it yet. I think I kind of moved and then I wanted to try the medication and it was just a lot like work was busy. And I kind of, sometimes the idea of speaking to a new therapist, like rehashing everything when you're kind of dealing with it can be challenging. And I know that it's, it's definitely the best thing to do, but sometimes it is fair to say like, actually 
I'm coping okay mm-hmm. right now. And I have other things going on in my life. And when I started the medication, I was able to, I think, detach myself from my anxiety a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still present and it's still something that I struggle with, but it's not something that sort of haunts me day in and day out. Like it's not, I'm, I don't spend, you know, from like when I wake up to when I go to sleep thinking about yeah. it, um, I mean, which that's... was definitely how it was at a point. <laughs> That's awesome though, because like, that's kind of a big thing. Like I always talk about with my clients, it's like your symptoms aren't just going to dissipate no matter what strategy you're taking. It's going to be like kind of a turning down of a, like, like a dimmer sort of switch Exactly, it's just going to be tuned down. And if it gets to a point that it's manageable, you can start seeing like also the ways that it is helpful because I feel like a big thing kind of going back to what we were saying about like, you can't logic your way out. CBT is a very logical approach, Mm -hmm. but the thing is it makes you think in a different sort of logical pattern. Like right right now you probably have a very like, like preset sequence of how you logic your way out of things because Mm -hmm. you've been thinking the same way for so long. What CBT does is kind of give you an opportunity to see it see another logical explanation, but they're just different ways. Like they're Mm -hmm. different paths and sort of different explanations. And sometimes even like the action of kind of changing the pattern is part of the treatment and part of the help as well. And that's Mm -hmm. the same thing with medication. It's like you're interrupting a regular sequence, which is like feeling the same way you're interrupting it by bringing in something new and it seems like it's helpful. So that's awesome. Definitely. Um, and I think changing, yeah, changing the way you think is another huge part. This has been going on for, for a long time. So I've started to get comfortable with one, not being sure of everything Two, just kind of being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And what was actually really helpful for me was I discovered a couple of different resources. Honestly, I discovered a couple of people on Instagram who talk about anxiety and their pages and resources are really, really helpful. Can I yeah, tell them? Tell them. Let me share them. Hold on. I want to make sure I'm going And we'll also put them in the uh, description. Yeah. So there is one that's Anxiety Josh, who's a pretty common one at Anxiety Josh. And he just talks about anxiety in general. And it's really helpful to see, especially when I think a lot of people will say that Instagram and social media can contribute to their anxiety. And I think I definitely, I've definitely felt that at times I find it, I find it more actually of a bit of an escape, but sometimes I think it's probably not the best thing for me. So it's just nice if you do pick it up and and you do kind of just want to look at it for those things to be very inspiring and to be talking about mental health. Like it's good to surround yourself with, with that instead of just people who look like, oh, they aren't struggling with anything. Um, Why am I like this? Yeah. So um, anxiety, Josh, and then there's another account called obsessively ever after. Um, And this one really helped me because it has to do with OCD, which I have not been diagnosed with, so not to say that I am a a pro on that at all. However, Mm -hmm. I've stumbled upon some of these pages um, and I'm just trying to find the last one who's actually my favorite, but now I can't remember her name. I'll figure it out and I can also post it. She talks about OCD as well. So I kind of stumbled upon these pages and a couple of different research articles as well. And I was like, oh, this is me. Mm. This is exactly what I'm dealing with. This is 
part of the ongoing journey is I'm contemplating seeking help specifically for that or kind of getting to the bottom of if it is. But one of the things that was interesting, which I thought was a nice thing to share is that these pages all kind of said, it doesn't matter if you don't have a clinical diagnosis of OCD, like I'm not offended by you using methods and things that have helped me, even though I I have been told that, yes, okay, I have OCD, but I'm sharing Mm -hmm. this so that even if it resonates with anyone who maybe first of all, doesn't have the money to go yeah, see someone and be professionally diagnosed or second is, you know, not sure if they have it, but they struggle with some issues or if it just resonates with you in any way and it helps your anxiety um, or your mental health in any way, like feel free yeah. to use the practices that are shared on here. Totally. And so because it resonates with me so much, I've just found them really, really helpful. And they talk a lot about parts of OCD that I didn't know existed because I think I associated OCD with like the compulsion component, Mm -hmm. which is like the compulsive cleaning or which totally OCD can show up as that, but it actually is much more complex. It's just much more complex and, and the obsession and the compulsion can show up literally in any way. So it can be, it can be a mental compulsion. So one thing that I struggle with is constantly checking on how I'm feeling. Mm. so I felt anxious and then I kept like seeing in my brain okay do I feel anxious now do I feel anxious mm. now or like yeah it's yeah. like don't think of a what is it a polar bear or, like, don't think of an elephant or, yeah, yeah 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 exactly so I found that really helpful and then acknowledging that your thoughts aren't you which took I still don't <laughs> I still can't quite wrap my head around it but yeah. basically that you can have a thought and you don't have to attach meaning to it yeah so I That's a big attach thing. meaning to every thought that I have. Yeah. And that was a huge thing of my anxiety is I would have these thoughts and then be like, why am I thinking this? Like, this isn't me. I'm kind of confused. Mm-hmm. And typically for people who have OCD, a lot of times those thoughts kind of go against who they are, like their values as yeah. well. Yeah. And then you start thinking like, okay, I'm insane. Yeah. Cause I keep thinking about this, but acknowledging that you can actually have a thought and not engage with it, or you can have thoughts and they don't just because you have a thought doesn't mean that that's now your personality or who you are. Yeah. Yeah. From um, that, like two, yeah. two things really stand out to me. It's like, they're two kind of different therapies like that. I, I really like and relate to mm-hmm. narrative therapy, which basically talks about how like the problem is the problem. Like you are not the problem. And so it's just like separating yourself from, from that problem and kind of seeing it as like, I, I do this with myself. Like when sadness comes or something like that, Mm -hmm. I kind of just say like, I treat it like, oh, sadness is a visitor that's here. And it's not, it's not me. It's not my entirety. It's like one thing. Right. That's really interesting. Yeah. It's kind of like that movie uh, Inside Out. I feel like anyone Mm -hmm. who's heard of narrative therapy knows about Inside Out and it's like, just like you have different parts of you that are there and like none of them are inherently bad or good. It's just like they're different parts and they can just arrive and come and go in different times. And it doesn't mean that it's your core and it's not who you are as fully as a person. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is kind of like just like a mindfulness sort of strategy is like observing a thought, but not engaging with it, like kind of seeing it as like clouds coming by and like mm-hmm. drifting by, but not attaching yourself and like really, yeah, like exploring it. Exactly. Which is so difficult to do. Yeah, like it really so is easier said than done. Oh, I remember sure. sort of hearing that or being suggested that when I was really in the thick of it, I was like, sorry, 
I can't just not think about this. It's I was very confused as to how I could let these thoughts like pass by. I'm like, what do you mean? My whole day is just cycling through them and like logically trying to get through them and then ending up at the start and then going into like a panic. But I think that those super, super like low panicked, this is like the end of my life or the end of the world moments. Um, they don't last forever. Like they just, they physically, they can't like, you can't feel that way forever. And so it's best to like, when you do have sort of a moment where you're feeling a little bit better, like just try to just enjoy it and not then be like, Oh, I'm feeling better now. Oh, now I feel anxious again. Like, Oh, I thought about feeling better. So now I feel anxious again. And sometimes like if you actually need to just not think about it at all, or there's anything that can kind of take you out of it. I feel, I feel bad giving this advice because I feel like it was something that I, I don't know if I really took or, um, was really, really challenging for me. And I felt like time and also the medication, I think allowed me to kind of stop the like cyclical Yeah. Parts like I didn't dive headfirst into them anymore. I could just be like, okay, yep, like there it is, my anxiety again. Mm-hmm. And just kind of take a little bit of a step back. Also, finding out about OCD and how it can affect you made me really, really hopeful because yeah. identifying with something and figuring out, like, oh my God, other people feel this way. And this is not actually that I'm crazy or that, or that I'm a completely different person than I thought I was or whatever it is totally. that you're anxious yeah. about. And it kind of frees you from that, like trying to figure out what it, what is going wrong. It, nothing's going wrong. It's just sometimes our brains are a little bit more complex than we realized. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the experience is enough on its own without the added crap of like feeling like you're the only one and feeling like something's desperately wrong. Like getting knowledge and reading and like listening to other people talk about it kind of makes you feel like, okay, it's fine. Like it's shitty, but it's fine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I feel like that's kind of the whole point of like these conversations. And also like, I, I like the fact that you're talking about how like Instagram was such a resource because it's nice to have places where it doesn't feel like doing research on like Google scholar is great, but it can also be really overwhelming and having bite-sized like information sometimes is just what you need in when you're having these like tougher moments. Definitely. Okay. I think I actually have the third resource. Cause I remember I have a little, I have a mental health saved folder which I highly recommend Mm, on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And it's just, if you see anything that's helpful on Instagram, I even have just like funny things (laughs) on here. Um, I just save them because sometimes you see them and they really speak to you and then you can't can't um, find it again. again. But so one person was Dr. Julie Smith um, and she's a clinical psychologist. I just liked her share. I also like, she talks a lot about, um, relationships, which that was one of the things that was also really difficult is like how my mental health issues and like anxiety and depression, like really did affect my relationship because how could it not like, there's someone there with you who luckily for my case, like I'm able to be 100% honest with, and like probably is really the only person who knows like completely what's going on in my head, which is a lot for someone to take on, I think. And there's Mm -hmm. a lot of like guilt associated with that. 
But I think at the end of the day, it can just, yeah, it can be a bit of a roller coaster. And I think with relationships, it's sort of the same thing. Like your anxiety can attach onto your relationship as well. So it's important to just, you don't hear a lot of people talking about like the difficulties in relationships. If you're not feeling great in yourself, it's hard for that to not affect like your partnership with someone else. Yeah. Um, so just knowing that it's actually okay for like ups and downs to happen in a relationship and you can completely have like bad days, bad months, bad years or like whatever, but still completely love a person, like think they're the most incredible person. But like when you're dealing with depression, it's really hard to feel like the feelings that you usually would feel of like, Oh, just like blissful happiness and like rainbows. And like, I'm so in in love. It's like, Oh, I'm extremely depressed. And like, I, yeah, I can't really feel anything like depression can show up as numbness as well, which is how I have experienced it, which is just Mm. like not really feeling anything, Mm. um, which can be tough when you're used to like feeling all of the emotions. Right. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Let's talk a little bit about that. Like, let's talk about how you came to that spot where now you realize that you can go through tough months or weeks or years or whatever it is. Like, how did you get from the moments of feeling really disappointed with how you were feeling to now feeling a little bit more okay with it? Yeah. I think the idea that sort of like releasing that black and white thinking, and again, I'm saying this as if I have solved it. I really haven't. Um, no, it's, it's like working, everything's a work in day progress. to day. Yeah. yeah. Like, uh, I could say this today and then, you know, in two weeks have like a mental breakdown. So I think that the releasing of that black or white thinking, like, like what you said of the it's not a light switch on and off, but it's a dimmer switch. Mm -hmm. So as I kind of mentioned before, like I'm an on and off gal, like the lights are on, they're off. We're not doing them in these, but getting comfortable with the fact that like, yeah, it it doesn't have to be like completely gone for you to move on with your life is sort of something that I have to remind myself every single day. Cause I really, really struggle with that. Like the first thing that I probably have ever done feeling really, really anxious was moving. Yeah. And that was definitely an interesting experience. And so just trying to get comfortable with the fact that, yeah, you can have anxiety in the background and like still move forward and still do the things that you want to do. It's harder to do, but you still can versus I'm definitely was guilty of being like, okay, well, I'm just going to like hide in a corner until this is done because I don't really know what else to do. Yeah. I mean, what you did right there was like something you're basically challenging this belief that you had that I have to be perfect in order to move on in order to do the next step. And by moving, you did a really brave thing and you were able to challenge that and, and do it anyway. Yeah. Oh, sweet girl. <laughs> Getting teary. Oh, no, it's got a, some of this stuff. Like you maybe think through in your head but you don't talk about a lot which is why this podcast is so great Um, I want to hug you (laughs) virtual hugs yeah yeah and so how did it feel when you after making that really big decision and moving and kind of doing something that was really like you said like dimming the light switch instead of just like deciding no it's not the time Mm -hmm. I'm not ready I'm not doing it Yeah. I mean, at first I was like, what have I done? This is horrible. That was when sort of, yeah, like some, well, 
I wouldn't say that's when my symptoms were the worst, but mm-hmm. definitely when my anxiety turned into depressions, which is what made me reach out to my doctor because yeah, it had gotten to the point where it was really affecting my ability to do my job. I was still doing it completely effectively, but I just felt really distracted and like, yeah, it was really overwhelming and I couldn't focus during the day. And so that, that first couple of months was really, really challenging. And then I started the medication and sort of stopped like trying to solve it, Mm. which was probably the best thing that I could have done because before it would be like, okay, I was just waiting for a day when I could be like, okay, well now I'm back to me and we're done with that. Like, there it is like the Zip big that up and like yeah. we're done yeah the big like acceptance moment like that's kind of like the exactly. whole the whole topic yeah of just being mm-hmm. like I'm not solving it. I'm not pushing it down anymore I'm just gonna accept it and that in itself yeah. is such a relief definitely yeah that that was definitely a big turning point because you kind of said the same thing that my my therapist said before moving here which was oh like look at you doing such a you're making such a big life change and like you're doing it even though you're so anxious. And I was like, ugh, like <laughs> doing anything. Like so you're just trying to make me feel better. But <laughs> very cynical patient. Yeah. But definitely, yeah, it was like yesterday I had a great day. I went on a hike. Like I wasn't thinking about my anxiety hmm. all day. And if like something did trigger it or it popped up in my brain, like I was able to just kind of let it pass and continue about my day and like actually forget about it which I think I probably don't give myself enough credit for because at one point during this experience I was like praying that I could just go like a couple of hours without that being my only thought yeah so yeah you just have to take it celebrate the wins celebrate the wins yeah which I I definitely don't don't do a great job of it's a good reminder to do that Yeah. And when it comes to like medication and stuff, like how did, how did you feel about the stigma like within yourself and also with conversations that you were having with people around you? Yeah. I think at that point, personally, I didn't have, like, I had kind of gotten over the stigma within myself. I think I was just like, oh my gosh, I'm really fed up with this. So whatever I can do, give it to me. But, um, (laughs) I also had a really close friend, as I mentioned, who was going through something similar and kind of helped me with that by being like, no, it's normal. And, you know, it's one of those things where like, oh, okay, you're going through this and more people probably take medication for these types of things than you really have any idea about. So that's kind of a a nice reminder. And I find that I don't tend to hide it from people like I try to more say it in more of a casual way just to kind of normalize it like I'll be like oh yeah like I take medication for anxiety and depression so I if I'm with new people like I have to eat so that I can take my medication yeah. and I'm like oh sorry like I really need something to eat for my medication or like just kind of That's make great. it normal like it's just something that you I have to do and it, yeah. I just have to take it every morning yeah, I just um, want to point out like yeah. how awesome that is because like it's not only great for the people around you to start like destigmatizing it and for the conversations mm-hmm. to happen, but it's also really good for your own brain because like when you're saying stuff out loud and and acting like it's normal and feeling like it's normal, you believe it mm-hmm. and like you accept it, you know, like you're more ready for it and excited by it. 
Exactly. Yeah. And so I find, yeah, that's helpful. Like just even saying like, oh yeah, can we stop and get a coffee? Cause I really need to eat something so I can take my medication, not just being like, oh, uh, can I like yeah. hiding the reason why I'm doing that? I think that's, that's a good tip. Like it kind of just makes you feel more comfortable talking about it or like even mentioning it in passing, as opposed to having it have to be a big conversation. Like I don't need to have a big conversation with someone. And, you know, because there is that stigma element, like I, I have lots of people to talk to. Like I, it's really nice that people, if it was someone new would, would want to talk to you about it, but like, I don't need them to engage in a conversation about it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I might not want them to. So just saying it in passing kind of like, they're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. And you act normal about it. And so they don't really think twice about it, which has been nice. And I think the biggest difficult or most aware of the stigma I am is uh, in a work setting. Mm-hmm. So I definitely have not, uh, one of my close friends from work is aware of it. And because we have a friendship outside of work and um, she's just like the most lovely, best person we've become really really close friends so obviously I've had like conversations with her about it yeah I manage a team who I wouldn't mention it to and my manager I haven't mentioned it to and I know that that that's one of the things that I wish it was easier to talk about and I think probably some people if it actually is at the point where it is really affecting your work. Like it is important yeah. to have those conversations because it is really, really hard to go in and do your job when you're having a crisis and yeah. like not struggling to get out of bed or your personal life is in shambles or you, you know, you feel numb inside. Like it's hard to be like, okay, let me just go do a great job at my, sure. at my job. But this is also the way we make our living. Like it's incredibly important. We have to go there and do a good job each day. And so I definitely, I have not yet crossed that boundary of like sharing with my workplace. And I don't really have any good reasoning for that other than I don't particularly want them to know. And I don't, and that's, there you go. Like that's the stigma right there. Yeah. I don't really want them to know, but I don't really want them to worry about me not being able to get my work done. And I don't really want, yeah, I just like, yeah. I have sort of a, a persona or a, like an outward face at my work. That is the way that I've made it and curated yeah. it based on how um, I am and have been in the past. And I don't really want that to be changed in any way. And it's, unfortunate that that stigma does still exist that like if I were to share that Mm -hmm. I feel that it would be changed I don't know that that's fair or true but it's something that I feel inside like I don't want the CEO of my company knowing that I am struggling with depression and anxiety it's just not something that I'm like interested in in them knowing about me but it's unfortunate because I'm sure especially in COVID that I'm not the only one at my workplace who is struggling. I think every single person is having their own struggle during this time. And I really wish it was something. I know some companies do a great job of it. And my company does have resources. Like they are on the right path to doing that, but it's more about the actual conversations that managers and their teams or colleagues have with one another. And I feel like that probably isn't as common as as it needs to be. I really like how we went here. I think it's such an important topic. And 
I just want to like validate the fact that like, it's totally fine for you not to say anything, you know, like Mm it's, you're, you're going through your own experience. Like it isn't, you don't have, it's not right or wrong to share or not to share. It's kind Mm -hmm. of like what you're comfortable with in the moment. And I know this is like something my clients have brought up. Like, what if I'm not able to do future jobs? What if I'm not able to, to like do this position that I'm in right now? And it's definitely a fear and it's, there's so much stigma around. And I think that having these conversations, having conversations when maybe you're not in the thick of it is a very helpful sort of way to move the dial because it it's kind of like advocating for yourself when you're the one experiencing it is much more tiring than, than it needs to be. So it's almost the people who aren't in that situation who should be kind of working to change the narrative definitely, and, and make it more acceptable to talk mm-hmm. about at work. For sure. And I think honestly, it's harder in a remote setting, I would say, because mm-hmm. I think you have more of a natural inclination when you're in person to make the space and the time to have a chat about what's going on or let's go grab yeah. coffee and how are you doing? What's, you know, what's happening outside of work? And there, it feels like there's more time somehow versus booking in time with someone to just talk about not work. It has to be a conscious effort. Yeah. Um, so that's something that I do with my team at work is I try to spend probably, you know, half of our individual, like one-on-one weekly meetings, just talking about random things and talking about their life and how they're doing and how are no, but how are they really managing with COVID and kind of sharing like, Oh, I feel really hopeless this week. from my own perspective, because I think it feels hard to share with someone who is senior to you because you don't want their perception of your work to change. But if they say like, oh, I'm having kind of a shit week um, and not even, yeah, yeah, not even getting into my mental health issues, but just like, oh, it's rained every day and I'm tired of COVID and this is exhausting. Like taking the time to actually just talk about that um, I feel like has been beneficial and I've learned more about, I've actually learned a lot about my teammates and like their individual struggles and like, what's annoying, what's been difficult at home and what, you know, like not having enough space and they work from home with their partner and mm-hmm. like kind of sharing those things with me, which has been, you know, a really nice experience to actually get to know what they're going through. Um, and I think that is definitely something that should be normalized at work. I think it's hard. It takes time to make someone feel comfortable to, to share some of those things, but it's important to do it. Right. For For sure. Setting up the space and like making it comfortable to talk about things that aren't directly work related makes it so much more open Mm -hmm. and safe. And over time, obviously people become more comfortable sharing and, and feel supported. And it's harder for sure in a virtual environment because you don't get those same like hormones and like everything translated when you're in person, Mm -hmm. but it's still like worth it. And I think it's, yeah, it's, it's a really good thing that you're doing to set that up in your, in your team. Oh, I mean, it just, it feels more, it feels more normal. And I've been lucky to, in the past have managers who took time to actually know about your life and yeah. talk about your family, even if it's not about mental health, but just taking time to acknowledge that the people that you work with are humans and 
Mm-hmm. We should because sometimes it honestly yeah, you forget feel that way. It's like okay, oh hey, how are you? How are you? Okay, great. Don't yeah, care. Let's to get work. into yeah. what we're actually talking about. Um, I probably go the other way where sometimes I'm just rambling on and should probably start meeting, but I would rather that, you know, like there's always time for work. We're spending nine hours at our desks. And there's Um, also so much research showing that like, if you have good relationships, like productivity levels go up as well, because people actually feel like accountable to you and they want to do well for you. If you're, if you actually have a good relationship with them. Definitely. Um, and also Sorry, but no one's working for nine hours straight. Yeah. <laughs> God, this is, you know, anonymous because <laughs> my uh, my company probably wouldn't be happy to hear that. But like, no, I am in fact not a robot. I cannot work, you know, break down a task and be like, okay, well, I have nine hours and that takes me three minutes. So, yeah. Yeah. well, we've gone for a while now. I so. know. I know. <laughs> I'm just going to get to the last sort of big talker. I love it. The last question that I ask everybody, but I feel like it's especially relevant for this episode. And I thought we could both kind of take a little moment and answer it. If you're having a bad day or you're going through a particularly rough moment, what's something that you do to make yourself feel better? Okay. So I really wish I had a really cool, great (laughs) answer for this. Yeah. I wish I could honestly say like, oh, I just take some deep breaths and I meditate or I do a workout class. Like I don't, I do not. I, <laughs> I we love the honesty here. When I don't feel good, working out makes me sick. The idea <laughs> of moving my body when I'm in a really shit day, I'm like, no, I don't want to <laughs> do it. Even if I know that mentally that will actually yeah. help me, like I just don't want to. So some days, some days I find I, I, I definitely go for walks. Mm-hmm. So I do like being outside. Um, and if it's a sunny day, that's great. If it's a pouring rain day, that's not going to help you make, make you feel better, but I do it anyways, because I, I have a dog, so I don't really have a choice, but, um, what I do if I'm feeling really bad is honestly, I just put comfy clothes on. I decide like I feel bad now and I am going to go sit on the couch and like watch YouTubes or TV. Like I really just like to kind of allow myself to feel shit and not do anything that's necessarily really good for me. Like maybe I'll also have some ice cream and like just kind of sit there, maybe a glass of wine. Like I, I don't force myself to be like, I feel bad. So I'm going to do something that is productive. That will make me feel a lot better Mm -hmm. because sometimes I find that's too much pressure on myself. Totally. And so I just kind of wallow in it and I'm like, I'm going to chill. I'm going to watch a YouTube. I'm going to watch a movie or some trashy television, like something that is really entertaining and will just take me out of my brain. Because I also find that sometimes mindful activities when I'm really, really anxious and, and obsessive, they don't really help me because sometimes it's just, it's not enough for my, my obsession. Like it'll just circle around in my brain, but yeah. kind of distracting myself can sometimes be the best thing. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely a veg chill on the couch, be a potato when I feel I love and that. just kind of allow myself to, to do that. I feel like that's like literally the remedy though, from what, from where we started of saying like the emotional perfectionism. And like, that is like basically exactly what I was going to say is like, I do do all those like mindfulness, get outside, exercise, yeah. all that stuff. 
But first, like when I'm having a really shit day and when I'm feeling crappy, like mm-hmm. I let myself completely just go dive into it. I just lie in bed, get in the comfiest clothes, like just watch the worst TV show and just like become like a potato, full potato form until I'm like that naturally feeling motivated to do something different. And then that's when I'll be like, okay, I'm going to go on a walk. Okay. I'm going to meditate, but I let myself like actually want to do it because if I Mm -hmm. do it before I want to do it, then I'm like, it's not going to work because it's just going to make me feel worse in some way. And that's, that's the perfect advice. And everyone is so different. Like my boyfriend, he works out and he needs to, and it helps him so much his mood, even if he's in the most horrible mood and doesn't want to do it at all. He kind of forces himself to, and it works for him. For me, if I force myself, I've literally cried in the gym (laughs) because (laughs) I forced myself to work out and I was in such a horrible mood and I hated everything. And I was having a bad body, like my body day. And I literally just started crying yeah pre-covid like public gym (laughs) don't just because people give you advice on what helps them try it try it all see what works but don't feel like don't now add to your anxiety and pressure by being like oh like I gotta work out because people say that that's good and like don't put pressure on yourself to do like the right stress relieving activities that'll just add stress Yeah. It's, it's really just like self-compassion and it can look so different in different moments. Like for me, Mm -hmm. it's like self-compassion is like lying in bed or self-compassion is like doing a meditation and doing a workout. Like it's completely different. It depends exactly like on how I'm feeling and Mm -hmm. removing that pressure is like the biggest thing that has ever happened to me. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Theme, theme of the episode is sort of like, yeah, removing pressure on yourself to feel any certain way and sort of like taking them as they come which is way easier said than done but yeah working on it working it's all a work in progress also another theme (laughs) of the episode yes all right thank you so much for coming on thank you it was really great I feel like I've gone through a range of emotions all in one episode but it was there we go I'm very happy to have been a part of it thank you for coming it was great 